should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday. Well, at least I sound okay. Um, <laughs> I guess that's the most important thing. It is October 25th, and that is kind of winding down to Halloween. <laughs> Halloween's coming up. Um, day. Election day. That's right. Election day is coming up. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us as our co-host. John, the last time we spoke, um, I uh, I believe I don't think that we get we got to 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 talk about the third debate, did we? I don't think so. I think it was yeah. before that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, in which I like the SNL version of the, de- <laughs> the third debate. Uh, I don't know if you've been following uh, Kate McKinnon and Alec Baldwin doing their uh, spoofs on the debates, but those were really really funny. Yes. <laughs> so just really quick, the third debate. I mean, I know it's old news now and everyone's just really, really glad that it's over with. No more <laughs> debates. Um, I think that I think I mentioned this to you in passing, but I, I found that Hillary seemed to be much more uh, grounded in, in a way. Um, I think she got a new makeup artist. Her makeup artist definitely gave her a more dewy, glowy look. Okay. Uh, I absolutely think she rocked the white pantsuit thing real well. For some reason, it just really came off as if she she just knew her stuff much more. Or she was able to, I guess maybe by the third time, like she was just able to to argue with or argue him down better instead of getting caught up in his tantrums. I thought she's been pretty steady throughout. And she's take, you know, she's... Obviously, the fact that she knows how to debate and uh, is it, you know, I don't think she gets psyched out by debate events. Obviously, she's been doing it for decades now, or at least many election cycles. Um, And, uh, you know, she knows that she knows enough to um, stick to her her, uh, information and, uh, you know, not get drawn into the little rabbit holes he wants to, to lead her down to. But she also knows how to bait him just enough and to mm-hmm. get under his skin. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's ca- also, it's not just a, a debating trick, though it's that. Um, but it also is, I think, a campaign point, which is this person isn't under control. And do you right. want him as president? And I right. think that's the message she then is able to get across without having to just flat out say it. Well, the polls uh, have, you know, are already showing that um, she's in the lead, so I feel comfortable about that. Well, and, and have you seen the stuff, you know, like in Florida, early voting and registration, 
an avalanche of women, binders full of women are <laughs> rushing out to vote. And as Elizabeth Warren said the other day, nasty women vote. Yeah. And so we, we shall, we will. And, uh, you know, hopefully that's, I think that that's the important message is get out there and vote in which half of the show is devoted to uh, a discussion about who gets to vote here in this country. I think, you know, um, so much has happened here in this election has been, um, even on Donald's side, his whole thing about, you know, this this campaign or his his campaign or this election being rigged and whatnot. But there are some things that's worth discussing, like who has access, who gets to vote. And so I'm excited to have our first guest on. So let's get today's program started. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our next guest is journalist Thor Benson, and he's got an article out on Salon.com, in which it's titled The Great Election Con. Six million disenfranchised prisoners and ex-convicts deserve a right to vote. And this has kind of been in discussion throughout the entire uh, election. And uh, I think even California, uh, you know, there, there's there been some thought that we as a state should allow for those who are incarcerated to be able to vote. But I believe that according to Thor's article, roughly 1.6 million people are currently in state and federal prisons, and most of them are not given voting rights. And only two states, Vermont and Maine, allow prison voting. So let's uh, welcome Thor to the program. Thor, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's uh, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the fact that uh, only two states here in this country allow for uh, for those who are incarcerated to vote. And so, how does that impact? Um, I guess I, how does that impact our country in a lot of ways? I mean, six million votes. Um, it, that's what could possibly count. Could that actually impact something like you know presidential election of you know, something we're going through right now? Well, it could certainly impact a close election. I mean, what we saw in uh, the year 2000 in Florida, um, Florida is very restrictive on voting rights for prisoners and um, felons and the like. So uh, that could have really made a difference. And just in general, any close election could be um, altered by this just because we have such a large um, prison population. Now, has it always been this way, or is this a fairly, historically speaking, a recent thing? And what is the rationale behind uh, not, you know, is it just because we can take, this is something we can take away from people, or was there an, some sort of theory or, or idea behind not letting prisoners vote? Uh, it varies state by state. Um, some states have it built into their constitution, and some have uh, slowly gotten stricter and stricter. But um, I would say post-slavery, um, it's always kind of been a racial thing. They knew that... Uh, Minorities are going to be locked up more often, and so it's a good way to repress the vote. It seems. Yeah, and I wanted to add to that. And having you know, I read an article the other day about voter suppression, and that's the other uh, side of the question that we should ask: is out of the six million who are incarcerated, <laughs> who who actually is incarcerated in terms of demographics? And we talk a lot about the fact that the African American community uh, disproportionately are um, more than more than others, I guess we should say, uh, find themselves um, in a situation like not being able to vote whether you're incarcerated and or not. In some areas or some states, um, the whole idea of having to present 
multiple IDs just to vote um, also then restrict certain people or minority groups from, from voting. So, Thora, in, in your article, you do a great in-depth uh, uh, discussion about who actually is incarcerated of the 6 million people. Let's, let's talk about that. Well, the 6 million is actually, that's um, the prison population, um, uh, I think some jail population, and then uh, felons, too, because they just get their rights, you know, even if, once they're done with their sentence. Um, but then, so I said in my article, um, for an example, black Americans are 13% of the population and almost 40% of the prison population. So it's pretty striking how disproportionately it affects um, the minority community. And in uh, states like Florida and Virginia, for example, which are swing states, um, one in five um, black Americans cannot vote because of this stuff. And was it Virginia where the governor, uh, Terry McAuliffe, tried to, I don't know, I don't recall if he succeeded or not, he was trying to uh, return at least the right to vote for at least for, uh, you know, post-incarcerated felons. A, yeah. Yeah. Is anything coming of that? Is that, are there other governors, obviously, I assume there would be a political divide on this, but are other governors interested in, in pursuing that? Um, in Virginia, what he did was he, he tried to make it just so that felons could vote, essentially, just make it a sweeping action, and um, he faced a lot of opposition from some of the conservative lawmakers over there, and um, so it was like a court battle, and he got got it to the point where um, he could personally grant voting rights to felons one by one, literally just like signing slips. Um, um, Maryland's seen kind of a similar success. Um, Hawaii's pushing to get prisoners voting rights, not just felons, which is pretty cool. Uh, they're, it's moving slowly there, but they're, they're working at it. And uh, other politicians in other states are talking about it, but not a lot of action necessarily. Do you, I mean, is there any sense of what, what the political impact of this would be? Say if, you know, say there was a, a sweeping Supreme Court decision huh, with the Supreme Court, but assume, let's say for the sake of argument, there was that granted all prisoners and, and uh, ex-cons uh, the right to vote. Um, any sense of, A, how many of them would vote, and B, how they would vote? Well, I was thinking about it. There isn't a ton of studying on that because, no, it's never happened, but um, I was thinking about that, and, you know, prisoners have a lot of time on their hands, so I imagine if they said, okay, it's time to vote, I imagine a lot of them would, um, and just be it the fact that um, prisons are filled with disproportionate amount of minority people, I imagine they would um, mostly go Democrat, um, not necessarily, but that's what I guess. <laughs> Do you have any sense about um, how we are compared to other countries? Uh, mm -hmm. Is this, I mean, is it fairly common to take away the right to vote for those countries that have the right for anyone to vote? Or are we unique in that perspective? Um, as far as I could tell, it's kind of a mixed bag. It seems like uh, a lot of uh, European countries have decided um, that not letting prisoners vote is ridiculous and have given them rights, and then others haven't. So kind of varies. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm just having trouble making the connection of, of why or where's the justification where it makes sense why we would take away somebody's right to vote once they become uh, convicted of a crime. Um, yeah, they don't lose their citizenship. They don't. Yeah. And, you know, 
I, I mean, somebody can make a decision for themselves. It's not like the person who's running for political office uh, is a is a convicted felon. <laughs> well, I guess that depends, but um, himself. So, you know, I don't know if, if at any time or any point in your research, somebody had given you justification that actually made sense why we do this. Um, not really. Uh, I'm, I'm someone who, as a journalist, reads the comments when, once my article goes up. Yeah. And uh, the only thing I saw readers saying was, well, uh, you you did the crime, now do your time, kind of like you deserve to have certain rights taken away because you broke the law. Um, I don't agree with that because I think the punishment is the prison sentence, not necessarily having your rights taken away. Mm-hmm. But, um, I guess that's how some people see it. Yeah. The other thing is, um, I think it's a terrible thing that we're doing this because so few of us fully understand the prison system. And so when we're voting, you would want people voting who are educated on this. And there's not enough people like me who study this in their free time to, to get a good vote in, the, in there. And uh, so I'd rather have people who have seen the criminal justice system firsthand voting on issues that affect that. I, I'd, I'd bet that most people, if you just approached them on the street and somehow brought up the topic, they wouldn't know whether or not people in prison could or could not vote. Mm-hmm. And so then when you explain to them how it is and, you know, what an uh, alternative might be, that's where you then get into the well. They, you know, they, they basically come up with these justifications that are just really justifications for their, their not knowing what's going on in the first place. Um, but it, it, it really does just seem like a kind of it would be a random thing to take away from someone both in prison and then for some of them after prison, um, you know, a, a, a random right except for the fact that you're clearly trying to control the political, you, not you, but, you know, people who do this, who, who yeah. pass these laws and support them, are clearly trying to control the democratic process in a way that um, they think is going to help them. And uh, because other people, it's like, oh, well, just take away the, their driver's license, uh, take away the right to get a haircut. I mean, whatever, you, if you're going to throw random things, at prisoners and, and ex-cons, you could choose a million things. This was chosen for a reason. I think you got to that earlier, you know, both uh, racial and, and uh, probably, you know, related sorts right. of... Uh, right. I think that that uh, deserves an in-depth conversation on our part is to recognize the fact that the Salon, uh, I'm sorry, the, the article featured on Salon Thor that you wrote absolutely points to the fact that, hey, you know, look at how many people of color uh, this affects. And when you talk about voter suppression, this absolutely is an example of that. I think we have to make that connection for those tuning in. Um, you know, we, uh, we're not experts in terms of the criminal justice system, as you had mentioned, do not know why this this uh, this reasoning or this law exists where, where people who are convicted of a crime cannot vote. But what we think is that it absolutely leads to a way to, I guess, it's a strategy for for someone to, <laughs> I guess, win or in some ways it impact um, how the ele- some certain elections turn out. I think that that's what we're saying, right? Yeah, and this is a constitutionally protected right. This isn't uh, losing your right to buy orange juice while you're in prison. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is something that we should. That should be federally protected. And the idea that states can decide those things is a little bit ridiculous to me. 
Right. Great point. You mentioned, of course, that, you know, not many people are, are going in depth and studying this like you did. Um, is there any, aside from perhaps some prisoners themselves, maybe their families, I mean, is there any movement to try to change this? Um, and if not, where would that movement or could that movement come from? Because um, it's it's obviously not something that just the average person you know, once they finally learn what it is, it's, you know, probably not going to be high on their list of priorities of something to, you know, write an email to their, their congressperson about or something like that. So w- what support for this type of a change of this is already out there? Or, and if not, where do you think it could come from? Well, um, like we kind of touched on this, there's a slow incremental change happening in legislatures across the country. But as I think you mentioned, um, I think the best thing that could happen would be that a legal case makes its way up to the Supreme Court where maybe a a felon or even a prisoner um, wants their right and they're not getting it. And um, the Supreme Court eventually decides decides that it's ridiculous that we're taking these rights away in the first place. And has such a case ever gone to the Supreme Court that you know of? Not that I'm aware of. I don't think one's even gotten close, but uh, it could happen. Well, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll, I guess, uh, give final conclusion of our discussion with Thor Benson. Don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Progressive Voices Channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say, I do especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday, October 25th. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. And John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us um, as our co-host. And on the phone with us as our special guest is Thor Benson. He's got an article featured on Salon.com, and we're having a discussion about the fact that most states, actually uh, all but two states here in this country, 
um, do not permit those incarcerated or those convicted of a crime to vote. And so how does that impact things like the election and or, I mean, even worse, right, uh, local elections or statewide elections as states actually have the controls we have found out uh, who gets to decide whether those convicted of, a, convicted of a crime can vote or not. And so, Thor, to kind of close out our conversation, I mean, it's worth discussing. And I think John led to it. I mean, you know, is there a movement to change this? And as I had mentioned earlier in my uh, introduction, even California has been pondering this. Um, and, and, and it almost is as, as if it's like, hey, let, let us throw this out there. What, what, do you, what do people think about this before we move forward in actually changing the laws? And uh, as a regular citizen, I'm still I'm just having trouble trying to justify why those who have been convicted of a crime cannot vote. I I, I don't I don't have one, um, and I think that's what we're the point that we're getting to as well. Yeah, it's it just seems that we're always looking for any way we can to be uh, tough on crime. So many people won't oppose you if you say you're going to take away a felon's voting rights because they assume they're. A dangerous, violent person. So it's an easy, it's an easy thing to get past. As much as I would, I would look forward to seeing Donald Trump uh, campaigning in prisons, um, or just from prison. Uh, I'm kind of wondering. Uh, the, the, you know, it seemed like the 80s and 90s, and maybe the early part of the century were were really the high points of that whole tough on crime. I can do no wrong politically as long as I, you know, am more hard nose than my opponent on crime. Um, and now we're, especially in the last year or so, perhaps a couple of years, we're seeing more attention to the whole, you know, the impact of mass incarceration, the, the, the effects of it, the, the, the um, self-defeating purposes of it. Do you think there's a, a cultural change going on here regarding our attitudes toward prison? I think there's definitely a lot more attention being paid to criminal justice issues than, um, any time in recent history, and I think movements like Black Lives Matters have helped draw attention to that. Um, and with the felon voting rights, I think that is getting momentum. I think more people are starting to care about that now because it's, it's just part of the conversation, finally. Um, prison voting rights, which is why I wrote about it, is not really being talked about so much, so I hope that gets kind of uh, tied in with the felon voting rights conversation. Yeah, this gets entered into the conversation, hopefully, from your article. Um, well, what, uh, what, what sort of reaction are you getting aside from the folks who have posted on your, uh, uh, you know, responses about lock them up and throw away the key? Um, are you getting any feedback from prison officials, from, you know, state or federal officials, anything like that? Uh, no, I didn't get anything like that. I did get, um, some readers who were just genuinely surprised by it. Um, people contacted me and said, oh my God, I had no idea. Yeah. So they, like, even if you're in prison for a misdemeanor or whatever, um, that you couldn't vote. Oh. Your article also notes that there, there's, uh, I forget the exact number, but the, the number of folks who are you know, awaiting trial or who are in that process possibly heading toward prison, um, that a lot of them aren't voting maybe because of ignorance about their rights. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, a lot of them just don't realize that while they're in jail, because it might hit on election day, that um, they can vote. Um, no one, no one really tells them. Um, and furthermore, um, some of these jails just lack basic supplies you would need for voting. Some of them 
have trouble getting the absentee uh, ballots to people. Some of them don't have pencils so they can actually do the vote. Um, so, yeah, that can be confusing. As well as um, a lot of felons um, are able to get their voting rights back in certain states and they don't know that that's an option. Thor, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on this program and for sharing your article. I think it's a it's a very important topic to discuss and uh, very timely, especially with this election, how horrible it's been, how racist it's been. Um, so drawing that connection from this perspective, I think it was extremely important. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're going to take a uh, another quick break. When we come back, we'll have community activists right here in San Francisco, Gary, Virginia, who has served uh, for San Francisco Pride, for Positive Resource Center, for the HIV AIDS community here in San Francisco. We'll get his thoughts on um, down-ballot issues. I think that's important to discuss, especially here in the San Francisco Bay Area. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Chuck Spence. I'm the owner of the Maui Sunseeker LGBT Resort, and I'm also vice president of Maui Pride. It's not just the only LGBT resort in Maui, it's the only LGBT resort in all of Hawaii, which is really kind of amazing. Maui Sunseeker actually started years and years before I even got involved. I came along as one of the owners a little bit later in, in life. I came to Maui back in 1978 and absolutely loved the island. I fell in love and I thought, this is where I want to live, this is where I want to be. And so from 1978 until 2008, I finally came alive with the dream and bought the Maui Sunseeker because I realized that this would be the next step in my life and um, thought that this would be an ideal situation because I could do something that, that was my own business rather than making money for other people. It's important to have a place where, you know, you can feel comfortable about yourself, you can feel loved, and you can feel welcomed by everybody. And I think that that's the ambiance that we try to create. And, and that's the message that, that we try to deliver in all of our ads and trying to bring people to Maui, is that, you know, we're not just an experience on Maui, we're an experience of Maui. When you think back years ago, how closeted we used to be, and you think about how suppressed we were back then to how open and accepting we are now. And, and it's, it's a good progression for society. It's good that people are, are not just you know, tolerating, but appreciating diversity. And that's the message, is that we really need to make sure that, that people appreciate diversity. I think that whoever you are, follow your passion. Follow what you believe in. Follow whether it leads you down the path of art or whether it leads you down a path of business or you know some other aspect of internet creativity. Um, follow that and, and just be passionate about what you do. Spotlight on success and achievement is brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday, October 25th. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here in studio with us. Tuesday is my favorite day to do the show because I have a friend <laughs> in studio with me, and he's a really smart guy. Thank you. 
<laughs> Don't forget, John Zipper uh, hosts his own show here on the Michelle Miao Show, Fridays, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, and it's his week-to-week political roundtable talk. Um, John does an incredible job with his guests in talking about the political environment, and obviously, I think he's super smart, so whatever he says you should do, that's just what you should do. Oh, do go on. <laughs> But I know we've got other stuff to talk about. Yes, we do. Another smart person that uh, I'm bringing on the show that I think you should listen to because he's a fair, equal, and compassionate guy. No, um, you should really listen to yourself. But our our next guest does have great opinions. Uh, He's highly active in our community, and so I think that he would uh, absolutely contribute to our political conversation, at least. I know this election is draining people. We keep talking about the presidential election as if that's the only thing we should be focused on um, come November 8th, but it really shouldn't, especially for those who are living here in the San Francisco Bay Area. There are a lot of uh, initiatives that you should be pondering as well as political positions um, that we should really be thinking about because that's what's going to make a difference. And John and I have been talking about this all year long. The local and the statewide election are so, 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 so important. So don't only come out to vote during the presidential election. Uh, so let's welcome our next guest, Gary Virginia, who, like I said, has been extremely active in our community in a lot of ways. Most of you uh, who are tuning in who live in the San Francisco Bay Area uh, might know him as someone who has served the LGBTQ community well, through whether through Pride or Positive Resource Center and or the HIV AIDS community. So uh, let's welcome Gary Virginia to the program. Gary, thanks so much for joining Joining us. Hey, Michelle and John, how are you? <clears throat> you know, we're hanging in there for sure. <laughs> I said, <laughs> you know, come November 8th, whatever the outcome is, I'm either going to be motivated to uh, do a whole lot of things or I'm just going to relax for a little bit and write off 2016. We can all relax in our bunker in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Uh, Gary, I thought you would be a great person to bring on the show, especially as we're talking about the election, um, to kind of focus on San Francisco and the Bay Area and uh, some you know, propositions that we should absolutely bring up and also some other um, political office uh, or offices that we should be talking about, which there are some contentious candidates as well. Uh, where do you want to start? <laughs> Well, I would say I've been pretty busy. Uh, I'm so proud of you, Michelle, for taking on the leadership of San Francisco Pride as its new president. So I have great hope for that. But I've been really busy the last three years serving as president of Pride for 2014 and 15, and then vice president under you most recently. So I have to admit my um, knowledge of politics isn't as strong as it used to be because I've been so busy working with Pride. It's like a Mm full-time volunteer job. But What I see happening and coming down the pipeline this year is San Francisco's at a crisis of um, values. And I really think it it belongs at the top in the mayor's office. And it's just a trickle-down tragedy. We have, like, a very unpopular mayor. The number one issue in the city is now homelessness. Number two is affordability. These are huge, complex problems that didn't happen under one mayor's term. It's happened over successive mayors and several decades of poor planning and not learning how to work regionally to provide uh, housing for a workforce uh, centered out of Silicon Valley. So I'm really looking at, like, ethical leadership is what I'm looking for in individual candidates and people who are putting the working class first, not special interests or developers or industries like real estate or home sharing. And on certain propositions, I'm looking for compassion and not criminalization. So that goes from 
in everything from legalizing marijuana to stop jailing people and wasting money on that to actually looking at the seriousness of what's causing homelessness and not criminalizing people with ordinances like sit lie that did not work and now coming down the pike with uh, propositions Q and R, which I think are really dangerous and mean-spirited. And just in general, I think the whole nation is just fed up with money coming into politics. So an individual race is here. Once again, we see Ron Conway and um, different organizations channeling money, even our own Equality California, but the LGBTQI community channeling a ton of money for a particular race. So there's a lot going on, but uh, I don't mind talking about it. Yeah, and let's let, let's more people talk. Get people to vote. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, what, this is going to be a good conversation because, um, yeah, J- John, you know, presents a much more uh, moderate voice, in my opinion, um, than you and I put together in a room. And so, thank God, there is no vodka flowing between the three of us right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, but as as far as like homelessness, affordability of the city, I mean, this is these are all, uh, I think, issues that the the state Senate seat for District 11 uh, candidates are, are kind of, you know, standing on or using that for their campaign. So let's let's start with that. And that is the two candidates who are um, running for District 11 for the, the state Senate seat in which our current state senator, Mark Leno, Leno, is terming out would be Jane Kim and Scott Weiner, who both serve as board of supervisors for San Francisco. And... Uh, I know, you know, you and you and I mean, we have alluded to uh, wanting to protect, you know, the the homelessness community and finding a much more compassionate ways to deal with the homeless issue here. And so we're finding ourselves gravitating towards someone like Jane Kim, who has been vocal about, um, you know, at least being against what you had mentioned, Prop Q, which would prohi- prohibit tents on public sidewalks. And uh, that is something uh, Scott Weiner um, has been promoting um, and, or has been supporting. And so, so before and actually, Gary, I, I think before you, yeah. Gary, maybe because we have listeners who are not in San Francisco, yeah. uh, maybe actually even explain what the whole tent situation is here. Cause I don't think that's a, oh, th- there are other cities that, ha- that have this issue, but not all of them do. So what is the problem and, and what are the approaches that these, these candidates are have, have toward it? Yeah, you're a great, great point, uh, John. And so I think the easiest way, as I had mentioned earlier, the homelessness issue is a complex issue, in my opinion. And, and Gary had also said that it's not just one mayor that we can point the finger to. I mean, these these have been in my, you know, years and years and years of issues uh, that have compounded to what it's where it's at today. And the reality is that we've got, I think, up to 8,000, uh, you know, people who consider themselves homeless here in San Francisco. Maybe, you know, maybe that number might be inflated it's, it's a little north, bit. It's north of six. It's a lot. Okay. And we don't have enough shelters and or beds. Um, and so the, the what has happened is we've seen an increase of, of everyone. It's not just like one typical person or what that person might look like who are pitching tents on, yes, public sidewalks and or, you know, uh, spaces here in San Francisco um, as a way to live in in the city. Um, so I think, you know, that's the best way to describe what, what the, the situation is. And so some in some 
cases, it's it's what some politicians are calling inhumane spaces to live in. It's obviously a, a, a public hazard in terms of sanitation. Um, so we're having this discussion. What should we do about the homelessness issue? Uh, uh, and and that is why I think this proposition has been proposed is to ban the tent. So maybe they'll go away and they'll find housing uh, differently. Um, so before we go to Gary, in terms of Wiener versus Kim, I'm going to have John jump in so um, that you don't feel that we're... Oh, no, go ahead. <laughs> Look, I, I don't... Something, actually, I was going to raise this as a, a separate question, which is just that I think looking... And there are... For people who are not in San Francisco, especially if you're not in California, we vote on everything here because apparently our elected officials can't deign to do it themselves so they in fact are shoveling a lot of these these ballot propositions on to the ballots but um so many of them this year and we've got what is it 17 statewide ones do i have that right gary and then there are like 20 or something local ones um they they frankly seem rather poorly constructed they don't solve a problem they're supposedly Mm. addressing and there are even dueling you know, I th- maybe the one that, that just would end the death penalty might be the rare exception. You know, problem, you know, solution uh, uh, proposed, and this would take care of it. But just about everything else is, you know, the 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 proposition about banning tents or you know forcing the city to, uh, uh, you know, close down a tent encampment but provide house. It's like it it doesn't solve the issue. It doesn't. So which is why I think I'll I'll toss it back to Gary at, on your progressive slate here. You in bold red caps will be voting for Jane Kim. Tell us why. Well, you know I've moved away from identity politics long ago. I've lived here since 1987. I'm a, a, a renter, as is most like two thirds of the city, or 41 percent. Um, and you know it used to be the <clears throat> queer person voted for the queer candidate. Harvey Milk always said, "No one represents us better than ourselves. We need to be in office." And over time, in San Francisco especially, we have a large number of gay people, and a lot of us have done well, a lot of us have not done well, and it runs the gamut of people who are homeless or double or triple diagnosed with issues to the people who are working at the top wealthiest companies in the Bay Area like Apple or Google. So you have everything. So it's not enough, and you can't really even look at political clubs because in this city, we have a very strong Harvey Milk LGBTQ Democratic Club, and then there's the Alice B. Toklas LGBT Club. And people who are new to the city or younger might look at that and say, oh, here's a queer political organization. Here's their slate. There's so much on the ballot. I'm just going to walk in with this slate and trust them. And ironically, a lot of the issues are always the opposite between the Milk Club and the Alice Club in the city. But both have proven to be places where a lot of soft money comes into the races. So even with our uh, local longest-running LGBTQ media publication is the Bay Area Reporter, they can be progressive and left-leaning all year long with their reporting and and coverage. And yet every time there's an election, their endorsements usually fall on the side of the machine politics of the Democratic Party in San Francisco. And I think that goes back to when Bob Ross, the publisher of the BAR, was on the Golden Gate Bridge Commission, and there was some relationship with established Democratic machine politics. And uh, the legacy of Tom Horn now publishing the newspaper, I think that relationship is still respected. 
and you see them sometimes promoting candidates or issues, and you just scratch your head thinking, is this really like the LGBT weekly newspaper making this endorsement? But that said, I'm voting for Jane Kim because, um, first of all, the issues that I care about, and I think the District 11 Senate District cares about, are more aligned with what she's promoting. We've just said that the number one issue, according to the Chamber of Commerce in February, was homelessness and then affordability. And I just heard Jane speak at a Castro Community Forum um, over the weekend on Sunday, and her knowledge is just unbelievable of the intersectionality of how these issues come to play. So she's not just looking at homelessness as these are people down in their luck. Um, a lot of the people who are homeless used to have a house in San Francisco very recently, and she's looking at mental health issues, what's going on in our jails, how does education impact the number of people who are homeless? How does different legislation affect homelessness? So when I compare the candidates, uh, it's nothing personal against Scott. I have great respect for him. <clears throat> we cross paths a lot in my community volunteer fundraising work, and he's done a lot of great things. Um, but on the larger issues, he is more or less being funded by development and real estate interests and also the charter schools programs. Uh, and a lot of certain key issues that he's advocating for is where he's getting his money from. But I see with Jane a more transparent candidate, somebody who genuinely listens to you and works to find a, a solution. And she is, to me, a coalition builder. I feel like Scott works more behind the scenes to get to where he wants to be. He doesn't always involve people in the front end of a discussion. And, you know, this this measure to, you know, be able to have the city give you 24 hours notice uh, to confiscate your tent and your belongings. I mean, what if you have HIV medicines or some other medication that's required in there um, and it's confiscated and then they offer you shelter for maybe one night? So we already know there's a long waiting list for the shelters. The shelters aren't safe for everybody, especially a lot of people in the LGBTQ, especially transgender people in the city. 29% um, of homeless youth are queer. Uh, Scott led the charge to close all of our city parks at midnight with um, claiming it was a safety issue, but it really did as it disproportionately affected people who felt safer in a park overnight than in one of our city shelters. And, you know, there's a lot of queer people that are homeless that are in these pockets. So it's not a LGBTQ issue on almost anything. When people ask me, like, well, what has Jane Kim done for the queer community? I think she's addressing the issues that affect everybody in the district, and that includes the gay people. You know, we need housing. We need affordable housing. And there's just been like a, a brain drain of culture and arts in the city for 20 years of people moving to Palm Springs and cheaper cities that just have got outpriced out of here. And I could go on, but I just think that on the issues that I care about, Jane is championing. She's a harder negotiator to get a higher percentage of below-market-rate housing with new construction. She's proven that <clears throat> excuse me, in her own district. <clears throat> in my district of the Castro, we've had a ton of huge developments going in from Octavia Boulevard up to Castro Street. And I don't think one of those projects had one unit of housing on top of what was just the minimum standard for the city with new development. So I don't see a supervisor who took advantage of this huge build-out of Upper Market Street, championing the underdog, 
and getting below market rate housing. So, you know, I think on two key issues, affordability and homelessness, I just don't see Mark having the best interests of those most in need in our city. I think, um, you know, he's constructed a path to get reelected. <clears throat> it's not all bad, <clears throat> but I'll end there. Well, what, uh, Joe Eskenazi, I don't know if you saw his San Francisco Magazine article on the gangs of City Hall. I think it's the current issue out there with Gavin Newsom on the cover. Um, and this is, again, lesson for folks outside of San Francisco. Uh, San Francisco, extremely democratic city. Uh, it's really a fight between the so-called moderates and the so-called progressives. And if Jane Kim, of course, goes to Sacramento, that means what happens to her seat? So Mayor Lee, who, again, for outsiders who probably might not know this, Mayor Ed Lee tends to be on the, the moderate side, the moderate camp. He gets to appoint her position. Does that, as a moderate... Or excuse me, as a progressive, does that does that play into your calculations at all, or does that worry you that he would appoint someone who, you know, is perhaps more like Scott and less like Jane to fill her position? Well, I'm hoping that people, I mean, it's kind of under the radar of what people are talking about, but there's Proposition D on the ballot that would actually change the law such that if a supervisor was um, removed for whatever reason out of their supervisor seat, Right now, the mayor has the power to appoint a replacement, but Proposition D uh, would allow the voters of that district to hold another election to appoint a replacement. It all depends on how many years are left on the term for that particular office. So this has been something that the city's been trying to do, the progressive community, for years, because the mayor and the board of supervisors are supposed to be the checks and balances of the city. But we often end up with a 6-5 split of the 11 supervisors and it's either a majority or the minority that's aligned with the mayor. So what has happened in some years is if the mayor does not have the majority voice on that board with six solid supporters, he sometimes will take one of those six progressive supervisors and give them a plum job with a high salary and entice them to move off the board, and then he can then put the replacement in, and all it takes is that six votes and th then you are really not having that checks and balances in place. So I believe that if Prop D passes, that it would go into effect at the beginning of the new year. So in the case of Scott or Jane getting elected, uh, either District 6 for Jane or District 8 for Scott, the voters would be able to elect their own replacement, which would be huge. Uh, Larry Gersten is a an expert in California politics. He he uh, San Jose State University professor and... NBC Bay Area analyst. Um, and one thing he's talked a lot about a lot is uh, when you have a lot of propositions, and again, this year we've got an avalanche of them, is that the more propositions on a ballot, the more ballot measures on the ballot, um, the more likely people are to vote no. And, and especially as they get toward the, you know, as they work their way through it, it's no, 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 no. Um, do you think, I mean, that obviously the, the, the measures you'd like to see go down, that, that would be good for that, but there are certain measures that uh, you certainly I want people to vote yes on. So does that concern you that some good measures might uh, might fail just because people tend to, again, just become more negative the more uh, that's on there, that the more that they're asked to supposedly know enough about to vote on? Right. It's hard to say, but I feel like in San Francisco, two-thirds of voters vote absentee now. <clears throat> so, well, and that's statewide, know. actually. Yeah, more than 60% of California voters will vote before Election Day. Right. So I, I think that the people that are voting early sometimes will go to their trusted uh, organization or media outlet and look at the slate of endorsements. And I think that they 
I think San Francisco, it could just be my anecdotal evidence from my social media stream, but people really get into the nuts and bolts of things. And I think once they get that ballot in their hand or they're in the polling booth, they actually do vote down the ballot. It's just a shame more people don't vote. Um, but I think when you're voting absentee, you have more time to contemplate things or check different sources. And I think what's going to lose are the ones where they're either confusing, like uh, putting Q&R on the ballot um, around homelessness and um, other issues. But, you know, something like the soda tax, you know, it's just it's probably one of the propositions that's gotten the most money poured into the campaigns, and you just can't get away from the flyers coming in the mail or the TV or the radio. And, you know, there's a lot of money at stake for the soda industry, but it's one of those issues where, you know, the legislation's not perfect. And I think that in those cases, um, you know, we're going to see unusual results. I, I do feel like there's like a higher threshold because of the number of ballot measures for things to pass this year. But I also think that we probably have a lot of new Bernie Sanders, first-time voters or people more motivated to get out and vote. And Bernie came into town and endorsed Jane Kim. I think he was critical to have her fundraising campaign when he put out a national appeal, and he just did another one this week. They came in through the email advocating for just a handful of candidates, and she was one of the, the people he's advocating for. I think Jane's being outspent three to one. It could go higher. But, um, you know, I think where the money is coming in in that race is really telling as well. There's a real divide on um, how people are approaching affordability and homelessness um, and other issues. And there was a pretty good article out recently um, with the Bay Guardian just discussing where the money is coming from Scott's campaign. And in the queer community, this Equality California organization is one that's kind of been benign and advocated for equal marriage laws and you know, pretty much well-liked by everybody. Uh, but now we see $800,000 coming through that one nonprofit organization. Mm, and Equality California. <laughs> <laughs> um, Gary, so we're, we're going to wind down, but I wanted to touch on a couple of initiatives that um, I think that we should bring up for especially the show. Uh, Prop 60 condoms in adult films. Some might think that, hey, that's a good thing, you know, uh, but why vote no on, on Prop 60? Well, there's, this is like a, a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. I mean, the people that are in that industry and, you know, health organizations are not advocating for this. This is, I think, put on the ballot by uh, AIDS Healthcare Foundation, which profits from uh, AIDS medicines. It's a kind of a feud between the leader of that organization and Scott Weiner here locally. Um, but it's just not good public policy. Um, mm -hmm. It's just something that's not needed. Most people are on PrEP medication with uh, one pill a day with Truvada to help prevent HIV transmission. And I think the porn industry self-regulates itself with testing. And uh, it, could drive the, it could drive the industry underground and also take millions and millions of dollars in this adult film industry out of California. So there's just not really any sound public health policy behind the initiative. Um, so... And most everybody I know is voting no on it. Great point. And then um, uh, Prop 64, uh, you know, uh, which Lieutenant Governor Mary, uh, Mary, Gavin Newsom, I don't know where Mary came from, Mary <laughs> um, uh, uh, has been uh, promoting for yes on, which is the legalization of marijuana. So yes on 64? 
Yeah, I mean, the last time there was a marijuana uh, initiative on the ballot, you know, people that are profiting from it, with it being under the radar, didn't want to seem to legalize it. And, you know, this is like the conundrum of this particular uh, medication or social use marijuana. But I think we're, the states where we're seeing legalization, we're seeing positive things coming out of it. It's not adding to more use. It's being better regulated. I think it takes a dark element out of underground drug sales. And maybe most importantly, we can stop criminalizing uh, small crimes around marijuana that are filling our jails and costing us millions of dollars. So uh, I really hope people vote for it. I think it's been a very well-constructed, even though it's complicated, uh, legislation. Uh, I appreciate Gavin Newsom leading the charge on it because it is controversial, but they've been working on it for years. And I think let's vote yes and get a start on this, and we can refine it as we go forward. Well, Gary, thank you so much for being a community leader, and I think that was awesome that you put out your own progressive slate. Uh, it helps people navigate because it's been such a, yeah, I think it's been a very contentious and competitive um, election year, not just for president, but <laughs> even here in San Francisco. So I thank you for that. Well, it's a pleasure talking to both of you. Thank you very much. Um, so just a reminder, according to Gary's Progressive Slate, and if you want to see the slate, I actually, I think I'll post it on the Michelle Miao Facebook page so that it's public. But uh, according to Gary, um, you should vote no on Prop P, Prop Q, Prop U, which uh, has a lot to do with homelessness and affordability. Um, again, that's according to Gary. And you should vote for Jane Kim. Um, as well as yes for marijuana legalization, that's Prop 64, and no on Prop 60, which is uh, condoms and adult films. So for the full list, head to Michelle Miao, the Facebook page. Don't go away when we come back. Uh, John Zipper and I will close down the show with our final thoughts. I'm sure he has a lot to say about this matter. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Hey, it's Michelle Miao. It's hard these days not to get a question about when I'm getting married or when I'm having kids. I get it. Marriage equality is legal now. I'm in my 30s and in a committed relationship. Marriage may not have a time limit, but what about having kids? I have a lot I want to accomplish before growing my family, like becoming the next Oprah. If I want to wait, what are my options? Join myself and our partner Pacific Fertility Center for a free seminar on egg freezing November 3rd from 6 to 8 p.m. Register at PacificFertilityCenter.com. Space is limited, so register now. That's PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. All right, welcome back. Thanks again for joining me here on this Tuesday, October 25th. 
Um, let's let's close down the show, John. John, what are your thoughts um, having that lengthy discussion about the progressive Slater, at least coming from community activist Gary Virginia? Uh, I think I'm, I'm glad he's doing it because it's a theme that you and I have talked about so many times is it's not just about the president and all those other issues. Frankly, whatever side you come down on them, it's extremely important that you get out there and vote. So if if you're a Republican who can't stand Donald Trump, <laughs> you should get out and vote. But if you're, you're a liberal who and I God, I can't wait to be able to read Facebook again without getting mad. But if you're a liberal who just can't stand Hillary Clinton, get out there and vote or, you right. know, vote by mail because. All of those things are important, and they affect your everyday life. They affect right. your rights. They affect how efficient your local government is. They affect, you know, how people are treated on the street and everything. So right. it's well, extremely important. You know, I, I'm with you. I believe that a lot of, of these initiatives are poorly written, and um, in a lot of ways they don't actually solve the problem or the root of the issue or the problem. And I actually think that before we go gung-ho and all, you know, this person's going to change the world for us. Um, I think that more people need to be involved politically, period, whether that means voting or that means, you, you know, you're going to take a political path in terms of your career. I just think do it. Well, and, and one good thing you can do if you're in one of these crazy cities like this where there are a ton <laughs> of ballot measures, get together with a bunch of your friends or coworkers sometimes, depending on where you work, that, that might or might not be welcome and run through all the, you know, have people say what, you know, people can talk about the various propositions. You might change your mind on things. You might learn about something. Either way, you you come out of it much more informed because it's important that you vote. Um, especially, absolutely. Especially as we learned in the first part of this program, not everyone has that. It's very precious that you you have this right and you exercise it. Absolutely. I, I liked what we had to say earlier, and I know that uh, our producer's telling us only two minutes, but I'm pretty sure that we cut that first interview so short. I mean, I, I think we, we cut him <laughs> We're at gonna like create time here. two minutes. Yeah, so I'm going to be on the safe <laughs> side and give you something to work with in case you're wrong. <laughs> Where, who did we learn that from? You're wrong, wrong, wrong. Donald Trump. Nasty um, woman. Yeah. You're nasty woman. I'm the kind of voter where I need to go and physically do it. Really? Yeah. Um, because I, I don't, I, I've become so cynical <laughs> as I age, like. I don't trust anybody. I don't trust the mailman. I don't trust anything that I have to send anything in. You I have think, to you go. Think it's all rigged. I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know who you're voting for. Yeah, right. Um, what I will want to say is that, uh, you know, again, like it's not that we're trying to sway you here on the program to vote one way or another. You do you. you you've got to vote. But I think being politically engaged is really important. Uh, nowadays, and we really, if we're looking for like a revolution that Bernie Sanders is talking about, we want more economic opportunities. We want, you know, some of these corporate interests to get out of politics. You can't just like sit there and scream at the TV and or Facebook. It just doesn't work that way. And you're seeing that, you know, things happened and turned out this way because most of us who want change have been sitting on our asses uh, this entire time. Um, and you know, the last thing I want to say about the local election here in San Francisco, I have a lot of respect for Scott. And I know you already you already voted, John. Um, I, voted I, I for Yeah, secret go ahead. ballot. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have a lot of respect for both Scott Weiner and or Jane Kim. But as a queer woman, 
I'm with Gary where, you know, uh, identity politics is something that I've had to move beyond because as a person of color, as a queer woman, a working woman and somebody who grew up poor, I've always had to survive before I got, you know, the liberation of my my gayness. And uh, it's tough. But but what but but what this election teaches me above anything else is what you've been saying this entire time on the show, which is to to be much more politically motivated and engaged. So thank you. I think this program is a part of that. You know, yeah. Both educating and, and just spreading awareness of these things so that people maybe hear about something and maybe then they go on and do even more research. So Exactly. All right. Now we'll wrap with that. Don't forget, John is on Friday, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time for everything else. You can head to michellemeow.com. We'll be back tomorrow at the same time. Thank you.